Hello, I'm Dr. Rebecca Sun, Director of the Peregrine Centre. As we begin this episode of the Peregrine Rural Mental Health Podcast, please join me in stopping to consider the land beneath your feet, wherever you might be listening from today. Let's take a moment together to acknowledge the traditional owners of that land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders of the past, those of the present, and the emerging elders of tomorrow. The Peregrine Rural Mental Health Podcast is brought to you as part of our Rural Mental Health Partnership with New South Wales Health. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Peregrine Rural Mental Health Podcast. Today's topic is supervision and mentoring, and I've brought you two guests who are part of my peer supervision group. Uh, we'll just take some time to introduce ourselves. My name's Rebecca Sung. I'm a clinical psychologist and family therapist. I'm also the director of the Peregrine Centre, and we have the Rural Mental Health Partnership with New South Wales Health. Then we'll start with our guest, Anna. Hello. Hello, everybody. And Rebecca, thanks so much for having us, having me. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm also a clinical psychologist. My name's Anna Sidis. Um, I'm currently a teacher at the University of Wollongong in the postgraduate psychology program, um, which involves a lot of supervision. And what else shall I say about myself? I'm not even sure. Well, tell us a little bit about your career thus far. Mm. What have been the big highlights and the things that maybe would interest our rural listeners? Have you got enough time for this? Um, (laughs) So, look, most of my career has been in in the realm of youth mental health primarily. I worked down in Melbourne at Origin Youth Health Service for a long time, and I've worked with young people with psychosis for a long time. And also, yeah, as I said, done a lot of supervision and training for early um, career psychologists and students, and also really for a few people who I still supervise privately from a variety of different professions as well. Perfect. Thanks, mm. Anna. And our second guest, Mark, you can introduce yourself. Thank you, Rebecca. So um, also a clinical psychologist, and I've worked similar to Anna, the uh, university setting, helping new people to the profession, supervision training for 20-odd years, and then working you know, directly with, with children and families a lot of the time too. Supervision is something I've, I've had a long-term interest in and offer training in, in through the Reflective Supervision team. And a lot of my ideas came from a, you know, an early fortunate contact I had during my own clinical training with Daphne Hewson. So she was a bit of an inspiration to my practice both, you know, in terms of working with people, but also in supervision. So I've, I feel like I kind of fly the flag for a lot of her ideas. Yes, Daph was a, a influence of a generation. I think a lot of people learnt their supervision from from Daph and her what were quite revolutionary ideas mm. at the time. I think, yeah, yeah. Let's start with the basics. Then let's start with what is supervision and how is it different from management. Oh, we're looking at each other because I think, um, Mark, you, I think you could answer this one quite well. Do you reckon? I, yeah, I can I'll like give it a shot and then you could. can fill in all the bits I miss. Okay. okay yeah. So, um, I mean, supervision is a, is a relational process that's about developing and maintaining competent professional functioning and well-being for practitioners, um, also safeguarding client care. And, you know, if it's supervision in terms of the, there's a, there's a hierarchy here and one person is supervising, you know, looking from above at the other, then there's probably some evaluation that could be part of it and, you know, reporting to somebody else about that person's progress. That's a definition I kind of work with. 
Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It's a kind of got two parts. And interesting that the first word you said was relational. It's a relational process, which looks after the person, the clinician, but also thinks about things like competency and evaluation. Sometimes those two things are can grind against each other. It's not necessarily a smooth relationship. Let's talk a little bit, you, you talked about, well, in early days you might have evaluation, things like that. How do you think supervision should change over a person's career? Yeah, I mean, I always thought, I really liked your definition, by the way, being being relational. And then I was just thinking about the idea of supervision, like the, the whole idea that you're watching over somebody's practice. And so in relation to your question, I think that earlier on in the career of um, somebody who's working clinically, you're really doing that a bit more. I think mm. there's more... Um, evaluation is one word for it, but the other word, I guess, is, you know, the, the other idea might be to be observing and seeing what they are doing in their practice and how they are doing it. And then I think later on, I've always felt that people that have had more experience working, I tend to become as a supervisor a lot more reflective. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more interested in that or probably spend a bit more, a higher proportion of time with them talking about their own experiences and what it's like for them being in the room. Um, and so it becomes a little more uh, deep, I suppose, about how a person is is experiencing it. And I remember one of my first early supervisors who was a social worker, in fact, and she was one of the first to really start working with me in a reflective way. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed and benefited from that a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think it took my early three or four years of having somebody maybe a little, be a little bit more prescriptive, maybe a little bit more directive mm-hmm. and be really interested in, in my actual practice to get to that point then where I could start reflecting on who I was as a a clinician and how Mm -hmm. I wanted to be Mm -hmm. and how my own personal stories were influencing the choices that I made in my my therapy interactions. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think um, two things came out from there. One is obviously that that we're growing as people Mm -hmm. as we grow as um, therapists or practitioners. Uh, and, and our needs can be different at different times. It reminded me, you know, Mark and I have known each other for quite a few years now. I think one of the things that Mark has really challenged me on is, um, is supervision teaching? Is it, is it kind of, I know this is a Daff Houston idea, but is it dead fish? Do you want to explain dead fish to, to everyone? Yes. Yeah. And look, just to say, you know, when I see Daff, she says, are you still giving out dead fish down the gong mark? And it's like, yep, still giving out dead fish, Daff. And so, you know, dead fish is an idea. It's a, like a, you know, someone's stuck in the work. They're not sure what to do. And if it's someone new to their career, they're more likely to be stuck. They're not, they haven't got a whole bunch of other things that they come with, which is what you're describing, Anna. So, yeah, so in, in supervision early, you, you may give out the odd dead fish in terms of an idea that's going to help this particular client in this particular context. But as we would have discussed as well, that, you know, you know, that sort of exploratory space where you, you're sort of teaching to fish and helping somebody discover for themselves how to go about getting fish so that then they can apply that to all situations and all clients later. I recently did a masterclass with you, Mark, and, and one of the things I thought was very interesting was this idea of moving from my responsibility is the client, I want the client to get the best care, to actually the priority being the the development of the practitioner mm-hmm. and that I'm interested in them growing in their skills and, and their confidence. And that's interesting. I, I think there was a really different way of thinking about it because I think often supervision is tell me about your case, let mm-hmm. me tell you what you should do about that case, then we finish. 
I also think there may, and so I went out to my supervisees and said, hey, I've just had this, you know, interesting <laughs> class and why don't we do things different? And, and lots of people, of course, were very interested, but there was also this, um, fear about that, you know, oh, I've got to turn up with my full self and then mm. tell you all this stuff and maybe, you know, get you to watch some of my work or whatever. How would you address that kind of hesitancy in your practitioners that you supervise? I guess it kind of makes me think of uh, – because I think there there is often that kind of hesitancy. Yeah. And I think when you first start doing supervision with a student, they're trying to figure out, like, what is this supervision thing? Yes. Is it therapy? Am I being trained? Mm. Or is it some kind of weird mashup of the two? Um, and so, you know, I think that we often, well, personally, I often encourage my students to be aware of themselves. Okay. Because, of course, if you're not aware of yourself, you know, you're, you're, you're not choosing your, your actions consciously mm. in terms of what you decide to do when somebody brings a difficult story or somebody brings something that needs to be reported or the other kind of inner dialogues that we have that are often panicked inner dialogues. So unless you're aware of yourself, then it's very difficult to operate in a way that you're going to be able to look back on two days' time or an hour after your session and yeah. think, yeah, I'm glad I did it that way. Um, and I think that that's something that does take time to develop. Mm. You're in the moment, in the session, thinking through, okay, this is a difficult situation. This is an ethical dilemma. How do I manage this? What do I need to know from my client in this situation? Mm. And then how do I then use supervision to help me figure that out? Mm. It reminds me of that Donald Shun um, kind of concept that there's reflection on action yes. and there's reflection in action yes. and that's trickier, you know, mm. this idea about, oh, I'm in the session yeah. and actually I'm still reflecting even though I'm doing the work at the same time. Yes. And I, and I take that point, which is if I've got a lot of big red buttons that I haven't really talked about or reflected upon, mm. then often I'm doing things without really – being able to say why I'm doing things. That's an interesting point, yeah. Yeah, and I also like I like the, you know, bringing in of Sean because it that's I think that the practice of reflection on action helps you to get better at reflection in action. Yes. And I think that that's a big part of supervision, right? It's yeah. because we have those conversations outside of, we think through what was happening with your client, also what was happening with you, then you get better at kind of recognizing those things in the moment. Mm. But when you're initially learning to do that, it becomes a, you know, the the, the you think about it afterwards. Mm. Mm. But it's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. My first thought in response to your first question was about safety and the importance of safety, mm. um, which we may come back to at some point. Mm. But um, but in terms of this one, uh, you know, I know that Michael Carroll and, and Daph Hewson have added the reflection in action on action in that as you reflect on action, you notice what's happening as you're talking about yeah, right. and you're thinking about the work and you're sort of reflecting on it, but you then may notice Right now, as mm -hmm. I reflect on the work, what do I notice mm. about me? So, again, coming back to yourself, being aware mm. of yourself and what's happening, you know, really important process. Mm. And, you know, I'm aware, you know, talking about early career people, you know, students, but just practitioners generally, uh, may or may not be students, but, mm. um, you know, that whole thing of that you, 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 you struggle to be reflective because you're not sure what you're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the anxiety might mean that you're so focused on yourself, you're, you're struggling to even listen to what this client is trying to describe to you. Mm. And, you know, moving past that then and being able to be a bit more reflective mm. 
and a bit more noticing at least what your client's saying. <laughs> and then eventually building in, you know, when, when you can settle into the work a bit more, now we can reflect in action a bit more yeah. about what's happening in me, but, you know, what's happening relationally in the room. Um, yeah, and, you know, I would notice early in my career, I, yeah, there was a lot of time that wasn't a lot of reflection going on. <laughs> so how would you suggest someone prepares or gets the most out of supervision? And and how do you think it can go wrong, you know, when you when you have an interaction in supervision? I think a lot of people would have a story, mm. but how do you think it can uh, not achieve the aims that you've just set out there? Look, I think it's interesting kind of coming back to your initial definition of it being a relational process mm. because I think that similarly, I suppose, in some ways to therapy, you need to find a supervisor that you are comfortable with and that you feel safe enough mm. to be vulnerable with, mm. even if you're you're trying to tell them, look, I think I made the wrong decision here, or I think I did something wrong. Mm. Because if you can't do that, then it's very difficult to, to grow and to figure out, you know, yourself and, and what you're doing. And I think it is in, in some cases for some conversations a very vulnerable kind of space mm. to be in, mm. to have somebody looking at your practice really closely. I was thinking of that actually in terms of not just an early student or, or early career clinician, but also even later on, mm. those um, conversations that you might have even in supervision, so. perhaps even more so, yeah. where you think, you know, I've been working for 20 years, mm. I should be doing, I've been doing it this way for 20 years, yes. and then to have somebody look really closely at practice can be quite vulnerable. Yeah. So I think it's also, you know, like in terms of where things can go wrong, and I'm drawing a lot of this actually from Mark's supervision class <laughs> that I went to as well, there's also that that space of not holding safety mm. or feeling like you're, you know, you're maybe not being clear about where you're being evaluated or not, mm. what's a reflective space, what's not, you know, and just making sure that you're very transparent as a supervisor about what to expect from something. Mm. And in terms of supervisees, I would encourage being really open in terms of communicating what you actually want mm. and how you would like to be supervised, what works best for you. Mm. And, and I often encourage my students to let me know that they've never been asked that question before. So it's usually like, oh, what? How, what do you mean? Mm. Um, but actually, you know, what, what do you need from me as a supervisor? So I like to, at the outset, talk about what my expectations are of my students or my supervisee, which would be that I expect you to be thoughtful about things, mm. that I want you to bring things to me that you find of interest or confusing or that you really loved or that you really hated, mm. that I want you to have during the week or two weeks, whatever it is, something that you're holding to bring to supervision. Mm. And then the other side of it is what do they need from me? You know, do you want me to listen first? Do you want me to offer advice? How do you want me to re be responsive to you mm. in a way that's going to meet your goals? Yeah, I think it's really complicated, isn't it? Because I, I do the same thing. Hey, what would you like from supervision? And I really think a lot of people think I'd like to tell you about cases and you tell me what to do yeah. about it. That's actually <laughs> what I would like out of supervision. Yeah. But really, and long-term goals, I'd like to be a better practitioner yes. is also part mm. of it. And that isn't going to help me do that uh, except, well, with a limited value, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So um, having some dead fish in the beginning is going to yes. give me information and I will use that. But there'll come a point where I have to think about making my reflective uh, function better in order to be a better practitioner. And that is something that I do want. So, Mark, I, I mean, Anna's mentioned a couple of things and I think there's a bit of structure around those things, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about spaces and, and that kind of concept? Sure, yeah. And like, and as I was listening to what Anna was describing, I was thinking that, you know, a lot of the things you described and, 
and the conversation is heading towards an agreement, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like you're trying to flesh out needs and expectations, build relationship, build safety, so that you can then come to some kind of agreement about, hey, what are we trying to do here together? Because I think sometimes supervision can go wrong because it's a bit, it's drifty. Mm. Um, you know, again, for later career folk. And you know, think of us as a, a group of three people, yeah. but, you know, in terms of our supervision and, yep. you know, what we try and get out of our conversations. So that, that you know, you, you're hoping that it comes to something with, you know, some broad goals that, yep. you know, that would be smart enough, not, not smart and to death, but like something that's achievable, maybe. What do you mean by smart? What do I mean by smart? Yep. Um, well, it has the acronym of specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, relevant, and time. There's some time frame. So that's the smart part. And the enough is like, but not too much. <laughs> not so that you reduce it down and it becomes meaningless. It becomes something yeah. that you can write down, but doesn't mean anything to the person then. So that's why like, smart enough. Yeah. And, you know, talking about spaces then, and um, I get another idea from, from DAF, but, uh, that yeah, supervision does have to meet different needs. And as a supervisor, you may want to provide a different kind of relational space at different points. And so um, the, the idea of the spaces is that, uh, you know, supervision is like different rooms of a house. And at different points, you go to a different room depending on what you need. And there may be times when you, you head to the office because, you know, was, you do need to be told what to do. It's like, I want you to do a child protection report. Uh, you know, you need to do a risk assessment. There's something the supervisor needs the supervisee to follow mm. and that's done in the office mm. in an exam room mm. you might go to the exam room for like a mid and end placement it's a formal evaluation of progress it's important it's part of the supervision process it's part of that the formative um, restorative and then normative part it's a normative part of supervision where you're checking in and making sure that this person's up to standard they're mm. meeting the requirements you're hoping there's not too much evaluation going on there <laughs> Then there's a lecture room where you get some dead fish, you know, <laughs> an idea for something that's kind of helpful. But again, in terms of those rooms, you're hoping not to spend too much time in those rooms of the house, but more time in, in, in other rooms like the sitting room, a place you get settled. And we know that sometimes people come to supervision, there's been something that's been quite distressing. They just need a moment to get settled before they can get reflective. <laughs> and, you know, it could be about the work, it could be about personal things, but you know, just a little bit of time in the sitting room to help get settled, but not so much that it's just a nice chat. Mm -hmm. Supervision needs to be more than a nice mm -hmm. chat. And then, so the other two rooms that, um, you know, Daph and Michael talk about is the studio, a place for thrashing out ideas together. The lecture room, it's passive. You just get ideas given to you by the supervisor. Mm. But in the studio, you're thinking about it together, like, you know, problem solving, coming up with ideas that you might then take to the observatory, which is the final room that's kind of just um, delineated and as a space of just exploration. So it's like you come up with an idea and then it's like, hmm, I wonder how that would go. And you just <laughs> see where that conversation takes you. And, you know, as you were saying before, Anna, that later in your career, that maybe there's more time in the, in the observatory exploring mm -hmm. earlier bit more time in the lecture room and occasionally the office you know mm -hmm. <laughs> um and like, just to add this isn't about the spaces but we're just talking about sort of safety and um bringing your work and the importance to bring work mm. um and like you know if if you're coming to supervision and you haven't really thought about what you need you probably should just cancel the supervision really because mm. like you do need to come with something so i you know i really underline all those points you're making and um, but you know, bringing, we're talking about bringing work to, to us. And I mm. still remember the time that I brought in a bit of video to show you two people I entrust in, both in terms of I feel safe with you, mm. 
but also I'm interested and I trust your clinical acumen. Mm. Yeah, so I could trust more and yet, yeah, I'm anxious. Mm. <laughs> I'm showing you my work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's still scary 30 years down the track. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so what's the point of direct observation? Why do we put people through it? Why do we, uh, you know, <laughs> torture people by asking them to bring in direct observation video? Yeah, I was just about to say that because it is something that I think people are very anxious about often and mm. particularly our students, but I think anybody, you know, the idea of being recorded, mm. showing somebody a video, I'm always cursing what I wore. <laughs> Why did I wear that? Um, yeah, but I think it's, it's immeasurably valuable. Because what you then are able to see as supervisor, but also a supervisee, to be able to observe yourself mm-hmm. is extraordinarily helpful in yes. terms of your own personal growth and being able to see what you are doing in the session that yes. you no way of noticing it if you when you're there in person. Yes. No, I know you talk about blind spots a lot, and I think that that's part mm. of what a supervisor does. It helps you to say, "Hey, did you know that this is a thing that you do? Mm. Mm. You know that you bounce your knee when you're talking about these things? <laughs> what am I? Um, you know, how how might the client be responding to that? Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it isn't. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Mm-hmm. But when you are actually able to see, even even auditory recording, I find really useful as a supervisor, mm-hmm. um, because I can also hear the client for themselves. And then I can hear really clearly how the interaction is between the two people. Mm-hmm. And that gives me so much more information than just hearing it kind of secondhand from somebody who's relaying it through their own Yeah, because lenses. They, they are obviously reporting how they understood the situation mm-hmm. and what they're coming for is a different understanding of the situation. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, the research is very clear that direct observation leads to better growth. You know, yeah. that's, that's the bottom line. It's not just the opinion of supervisors. It's, yeah. it's a fact that direct observation is the thing that mm. helps people grow. Mm. And I guess that's why we do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you. There's always, um, and I p- think particularly when people are not used to it, they didn't grow up. Uh, mm. Certainly when I trained, direct observation was just a th- a fact of life, you know, yes. everything was observed. And to a mirror. To a mirror, yeah. <laughs> and so this kind of idea of doing it suddenly when you haven't done mm. it before, particularly, as you say, Anna, when someone's a little later in their career, for mm. for instance, I can imagine that would be very confronting. Mm. I've always encouraged uh, the people I'm supervising to, to explain to their clients mm. why they're recording, the purpose of it, and how mm. it's going to be used, and then to build some safety around that too. And um, I'm always, uh, like I'll often ask, um, you know, a, a, a supervisor, you know, how, how might you explain this to your to your clients? Oh, that's good. Mm. And to have that part of the conversation too. And they'll say things like, um, oh, you know, that, that I can bring it to supervision and get some ideas for the work. And it's like, man, that really puts you down, doesn't it? It's like as if you don't have <laughs> ideas already. Yeah. And so I, I really encourage supervisees to, to be more accurate really because yeah. what they're going to do is they're going to, record it so they can watch it back themselves maybe pick up some things they didn't notice at the time because mm. you can't notice everything and then maybe choose one or two bits to share in supervision to get some further ideas mm. if, if there's some extra bits yeah yeah but it's really good. that's the secondary bit because they're going to learn so much by just watching it back themselves i am reminded yes. you know talking about the evidence and i know scott miller makes the point that it is the most powerful learning tool mm. watch video Watching video reviews, it probably even better than live observation because you can hit the pause button. Mm. However, it needs to be balanced. 
And there's a real danger as soon as, yeah, the, I mean, the clothing, but everything else we do too, that just like, oh, ow, oh, oh, that's awful, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's bad. Um, and so we tend to, you know, our amygdala will notice the stuff we don't like, but tends to wash over the stuff that's okay or even good. So I'll make that point to supervisees too, like, you know, watch it back yourself, but please, um, you know, look at three things you like, write them down, notice them. Then let your mind wander to the stuff you don't like, but do the, and I'll, in watching review as well, I'll, I'll always start with, okay. And I'll say, so, what, you know, what was it? We just watched there. Um, wh- what do you think was, was good about your practice? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, uh, well, I, I probably could have opened, asked more open questions, you know, like they'll tell me something they didn't do. But I was like, yeah, yeah, well, look, we'll get to that. What did you like about your practice? And they're dumbfounded. It's like, oh my God, yeah. I don't know. I can't think of a single thing. Yeah. It's like, so. What did you notice happening with your client? Like, how do you think your client was feeling during that session? Mm-hmm. They seemed pretty comfortable. Mm. And they, they, they talked a lot. It's <laughs> like, so, yeah, so what did you do that helped that happen? Mm. Like, let's have a look. And again, the idea of being able to look and see the practice because mm. you can notice the little, the little tiny things that people do that actually build good practice. I mean, I think that's part, part of the job of the supervisor, isn't it, it's to try and say, Normally, your your mind will go to everything you did wrong, or your annoying tone of voice, or whatever it is that you can't stand. Uh, and then one of the jobs is to say, "Hey, I don't want to lose that. What I do already naturally, whatever. Actually, mm. that was a pretty good shot at an open ended question. Mm. Or I tried an open ended question, but they didn't pick it up. But I tried it. You know, mm. that's a that's something to be proud of. Let's let's talk about rural supervision." Um, I know that many of our listeners to the podcast will be working in a rural area, and mm. uh, what we know about mental health practice in rural areas is it's very busy, and that um, often people are, you know, flat chat the whole day, and they say the the concept of carving out time to reflect and, you know, work on myself, and that just sounds like a luxury or an indulgence that my boss will never go for. So mm. what do you think is – the point of supervision, what are the benefits of supervision that you think you could sell to your manager or boss? <laughs> um, and, and particularly, I guess we're thinking about financial benefits and uh, the kinds of uh, practice improvement benefits that, that benefit an organisation. So many things. <laughs> so, so many things. And I think, um, you know, they're just a bunch of things that, that come immediately to mind. But, you know, even the, the notion of being able to I don't know. I think reflect is a kind of wishy-washy word now. Um, but I mean, you know, the, the ability to actually think through some of the things that you are doing in your practice. Um, it not only, I think, supports you to improve what you do to be more effective, but it also produces sustainability in the work. Mm. And I think if you're a, a, a manager and you're managing a rural mental health service, you need to keep your employees. Mm. You want to keep them well. You mm. want to keep them, um, you know, fit for practice. You want to support them to do the best work that they can do with the minimal resources that they have. Mm. But you also want to make sure that you're not losing your staff. And I think that one of the things that supervision does, hopefully – is is help people just to manage all the things that that trouble us as therapists and mm-hmm. as clinicians mm-hmm. 
to help us feel like we have some strengths in the work that we do, to help us feel like we're getting somewhere, mm. even on the days when you might not feel like you are getting anywhere, mm. to keep people going in, in something that is quite difficult. Mm. I know I did some supervision with rural cl- clinicians a couple of years ago. It was during the bushfire events that were happening down on the south coast. And we, you know, it was a, a peer supervision group. It was online. We created a space where people could talk about how the troubles that they were experiencing, not only in how to manage and support people who were losing their homes, but the idea that they might be losing their home themselves. Mm-hmm. So there, there are so many important things to talk about in, in rural spaces because you're also otherwise maybe a bit more isolated and maybe there aren't very many other spaces to talk about these things because everybody else within your area, you know, mm. <laughs> you have a dual relationship with. Mm. So having a supervisor who might be a little bit separated from that then allows you the space to speak into those things and perhaps keeps you in the work mm. um, for, an, for a longer period of time, enough time to develop as a better clinician. Yeah, because the recruitment of a new clinician or practitioner is expensive. Yep, difficult. A hassle. Yep, and and often you you are recruiting someone who might not have a lot of expertise mm. or experience. I think that's a really good point. And then you also mentioned efficiency of mm. treatment. Mm. Uh, I think we all know when we're not reflecting very often, our treatment can get you, you said Mark, a bit drifty, and, and you know we end up seeing people for thirty sessions instead of you know twelve or whatever we were supposed to. Uh, I think that that's a really good point. Mark, do you have anything you wanted to add? Uh, I feel like you sort of, you know, you covered most of the things that I was going to say or would think about saying. So, you know, I agree that um, maybe the other way into this to think about it is uh, we're we're humans. Mm. Um, Humans are social. Um, You know, again, we come back to the relational aspects, but we're social creatures. Mm. Um, We we do need to support each other. We're not robots. And there's a real danger that, um, you know, if if we just work, 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 that we become callous to things and we start behaving like robots. Um, I know that sometimes the idea of coal dust is used as a, as a kind of way of metaphor of this, that, you know, the distress that mm. we work with in terms of working in mental health areas or working with people often mm. is like coal dust. It, you know, it sits on our, it sits on us at the end of the day. Mm. You've had a lot of distress wash over you and you need a space to wash that off, mm. which is that space where you connect with another human being who you can trust to feel safe to, and you just talk about some of the experiences. Mm. And through that process, you kind of wash off some of the coal dust. So then the next day you can go out and do it again. Mm. Yeah. yeah, really important. Yeah, that sense of being, you know, the self as the tool of, of change and that uh, looking after the self is, mm. you know, a no-brainer in terms of being a good practitioner. I guess there's a couple of things that, that strike me, it, particularly if I'm a rural practitioner, I'm quite, let's say I, I work in a smallish town, I'm pretty isolated. Mm. It can be qu- tricky for me to get supervision. Uh, maybe it's not offered at my organisation, maybe there's nobody around. I guess there are a couple of things that people have suggested in the past. One is thinking about peer supervision, which is mm. something you, Anna, had mentioned. And then the other thing is online supervision, which is something you mentioned, Mark. Uh, have you guys had some experience? I know that we are in peer supervision, so obviously mm-hmm. you have experience of that, but in terms of um, seeing that work in kind of rural places. And then um, in terms of online, is that something that you experience and what are some of the considerations of doing supervision online? 
it's interesting is that there's sort of the, like there's the pre-COVID answer to that. There's yes. the post when we had to go online. And, yes. and I know I was one of the people that was like, oh, you're just not going to work, is it? You just can't do the stuff online. <laughs> you just got to be in the room together. Like there's yeah. all that. And it turns out that actually you can achieve pretty much everything through online. I know all of the supervision, I've supervised about 12 people currently. All of them, it's online. Mm. Uh, there's a person who works 200 meters away from, from where I work. They, they do online because it's, it's more efficient. It's more accessible. Mm. They can finish the supervision session. They can open the door to the client. Mm. It's, it, you know, there's no parking. There's no travel time. Mm. There's so many efficiencies of it. Mm -hmm. And once you've created a relational space, um, I, I, I forget that we're online. Mm. I'm now just talking to a person. And, um, as long as, you know, we, connectivity is the big one that, you know, that, that can yeah. sometimes kill that <laughs> mm. is that then, you know, due to internet, mm -hmm. then there can be some glitches and then that can be frustrating. But if you can sort the connectivity, it feels like mm. as humans, we can actually manage to connect okay mm. online. Yeah. I, I've been doing a bit of phone supervision lately, which I thought would be very difficult, but actually it's pretty reasonable. I, mm. I don't know, um, it gives you everything that video supervision would give you, but I certainly think if you're living in a place where landlines are really your your only reliable mm. kind of um, form of contact, mm. I think there would be something to be said about phone supervision. But maybe, as you say, it's uh, partly about establishing that relational mm. connection first before you get into that modality. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking, Rebecca, as you were saying that. But I think that if you are, if you do have, if you have had the opportunity perhaps to meet that person in person once or twice, um, and you've developed that relationship and you know each other, then I think that the, you know, even over the phone can be really effective, um, and, and really helpful. Um, I was just thinking about Vicki Reynolds' kind of ideas around um, supervision and what she offers and the idea of having a community of practice mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to keep people sustained in the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I think that online, whether, whether it's online or, or over the phone, you know, I think that if you, if you have a sense that you've got people who are on your team um, and perhaps some of those people are in person, perhaps some of those people you are connected to in person and others, others you're, um, you know, reaching out. On, online, mm. and I would I would preface that by saying when it's one on one, I think phone supervision is pretty right. easy. Yes, I think when you're working <laughs> with a group, yeah, it can be tricky. I, yeah. I I know that I've done some phone supervision with Alice Springs, and it and it does it is tricky. You know, people yeah. pause and to know who's who, yeah, and who's going to talk and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yes. But part of that I think can be overcome with just it's probably a lot more structured than mm. it would normally be, and mm. maybe you do sacrifice some of that reflective observatory kind of time. Mm. But if you're talking to people who are perhaps earlier in their practice and would just like, you know, some dead fish or some mm. studio time, uh, in a sense, I think that even that can be a helpful kind of practice. Mm. And I do think it's better than nothing, which might be the option for some yeah. people. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I did do, as I was saying before, this um, online group. Yes. I think that that, that still be, was, was extraordinarily helpful because it also brought the clinicians together to be able to share their stories of what was going on for them. Yeah. And so it meant that not only could they reach me, but they were also reaching each other in quite disparate areas. But they understood each other because they knew exactly where they were coming from mm. in terms of what it's like to live in rural, rural settings. So, you know, it became a very useful space, even though it was online and there were some glitchy issues mm. from time to time. Mm. Um, I think that they really enjoyed that connection that they were able to make with each other 
as well as, as the actual supervision component of it. And I, I do wonder if that's sometimes people's hesitation, oh, if I have my online supervisor is Mark in, in the Wollongong area, he won't understand what it's like to work in, you know, right. where I work in Broken Hill or whatever. Yeah. And and that m- may be true. Yeah. So how would you address those kinds of concerns? I think that's a general thing with everything is um, – trying not to make too many assumptions because, yeah, mm. maybe I lived in Broken Hill, but maybe my experience was different than their yes. experience mm. and maybe Broken Hill may have changed too. So um, I think in our work we, we're always um, watching out for our assumptions, aren't mm. we, and trying to notice them and then remain a little more curious. Um, and so, yeah, being curious about yeah, – t- tell me about mm. uh, what, you know, what is it that you feel is different in, in the setting that you work? What are you noticing as some of the key issues – What's different here compared to where you worked previously to kind of flesh some of the, some of that out, and it does really speak to the kind of relational dynamic that you were talking about before. You know, if I'm handing out only dead fish, mm-hmm. then I do need to understand a lot about your practice. Mm-hmm. But if we're working together in the studio, you're bringing your expertise, I'm bringing whatever I can bring, and together, hopefully, we're generating something that's helpful. Mm. I think that's yeah, that good point that. If I'm listening, if I approach as a supervisor with a sense of curiosity, then any kind of experience um, is welcome in the room. Okay, so let's have a think about um, people who don't have – let's say you're not a psychologist or a a, a kind of profession where it's a demanded thing that you must do supervision. What do you think are some of the um, hesitations, I suppose, of let's say mental health nurses or someone like that – uh, of getting into supervision and that kind of regular practice? I think they're real in terms of that if I even reflected on psychology as a profession prior to when it became mandatory to do at least 10 hours a year compared to now, mm. yeah, more people do supervision now. So, mm. yeah, the structures do help us to do the things that are helpful. Like that's mm. true in our, in our lives too. Like I know it's good if I go and exercise, but – if I don't arrange to do it with somebody, I may or may not feel like it today, so yeah. I'll probably let it slip. You know, so I think that's true. Like having structure helps us in lots of ways. So there's a lot of prof- – most professions don't have that structure. Mm. That's a reality. And so you know, I think the points Anna made earlier, the ones to kind of come back to of like, hey, I, I need to be doing this in a sustainable way. If I want to – this is my career. I need to look after – and what you were saying as well, Rebecca, about, you know, the, the – the self and bringing mm-hmm. that into the work and making sure to look after the self in the work. So, you know, from a management perspective, needs to look after the people that I'm looking after, you know, responsible for. But then, from you know, as an employee, I need to look after myself, mm-hmm. and so I need to find a way of getting supervision. Now, of course, again, there's whole structures for this. There's a business of it mm-hmm. in psychology that sprung up. I'm really pleased that in our workshops we get more than psychologists. We'll always have, you know, an OT, some social workers, mental health nurses sometimes, a whole range of different professions, GPs, psychiatrists, range of different other professions. Yeah, it's good because it brings a sort of air and light into the into the, the, the dungeon of psychology sometimes. <laughs> we just get a bit Definitely. caught in certain things. So um, – yeah, it's a very broad answer to your very specific question. Yeah, and I think it's a good answer, which is, of, of course, um, structure allows us to to regularly do something uh, with less effort, you know, mm-hmm. that actually if, if I'm going to every second week think, 
oh, do I want to do supervision? Who, who am I going to do? That's less likely to happen mm-hmm. every month or in a regular way. Yeah. Uh, it did strike me, Anna, as you were saying, the concept of a community of practice mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and um, the social kind of element of it. Yeah, well, that's what I was just thinking about. And I was kind of thinking of, of mental health nurses that I know mm-hmm. and value in mm-hmm. my work so much. And I think that, you know, the, the kind of work that we do – it strikes me that you don't want to be on your own in that mm. because there's a lot to hold. Mm. You know, some of them are, are difficult stories that you can't do anything about, of things that happen have happened to people in the past. Mm. Others are uh, ethical considerations and doing all this on your own. You know, and I was just thinking about nursing as a caring profession mm. and, and much like psychology is a caring profession and people who are in caring professions tend to be very good at caring for others mm. and really rubbish at caring for themselves and prioritizing time mm. for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it is. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, and so when I think of a lot of the nurses that I've worked with and have valued so much, they tend to have that kind of personality where you just, you work for the benefit of others. Mm. Um, and so I guess I would, if there's any mental health nurses out there listening, <laughs> just think, you know, maybe it's time to carve out some time to also be caring for yourself, be allowing somebody else to care for you, mm. to help you hold those spaces with you, mm. not on your own, mm. to have somebody to bounce off, oh, look, I did this. Is this okay? Mm. And somebody might say, yes, that's great. That's what I would do. Yeah. Or they might say, look, you know what? You, yes, but let's do this as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that not being on your own in, in experiences that are difficult are really important. Mm. Um, even though we might not be able to change that experience, being with someone in that, I think is always going to be beneficial. Yeah, and I think it, it it just makes me think about a feeling of getting somewhere, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes when I think about times where I've been close to burnout, I often think about when you're doing very difficult work mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like people are getting anywhere. Yeah. You know, you're, oh, God, in this, I've tried and I've tried and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I worked in um, child abuse and that can mm-hmm. be a very long kind of process. But one of the things that made me feel like there was some progress or there's something was changing was that I myself felt like I was growing as a practitioner or mm. as a, as mm. a self, yeah. you know, and that uh, I think supervision is a massive part of that. Yeah. And I agree with Mark, if I wasn't forced to do it, I may well have put that on the back burner yeah. because the more stressed you get, the more you feel like, oh, actually I shouldn't take mm. time away from that. That's mm. So, and we all know that in our brains, of yeah. course. <laughs> um, but we, as we would say to our clients, having some kind of structure where it's almost a habit yeah. really does take a lot of the effort mm. out of it. And that does, in some people's cases, involve convincing my manager or my team leader or somebody mm. to have someone cover my shift for an hour or, or, mm. or whatever. And that can be very logistically challenging if you've got very – uh, shallow a uh, pool of staff mm. and you're already pulling doubles because you're covering from other people mm. that's a, a legitimate yes. yeah, yeah yeah but i guess um after having this conversation it does strike me that if you don't do that there are there is a price to pay mm. and often that price is early burnout yeah. staff turnover and all the hassle that comes with that mm-hmm. and then you end up less well-staffed than you were at the beginning. And then you yeah. have to retrain your staff yeah. as well, all the training that you've already trained your yeah. staff a year ago. Yeah. 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 We've, we've all worked places where it's felt supportive, that mm. we're in this together. Mm. And, you know, you can look forward to going to work in the day. Like, mm. you know, as you yeah. head in, it's yeah. like, oh, 
there's a sense of looking forward to the day ahead. Mm. But we're probably also all workplaces where you're getting through, mm. you know, like there's almost in your gut in the morning, there's a bit mm. sense of dread about mm. what might be ahead. Mm. Um, yet you're isolated in the work. There's nobody there to help. And, and yeah. So mm. I think if we can help create the sort of workplaces where you can look forward to going to them, that's fantastic. Part of that is the community and then, you know, building some networks around, being able to talk with each other about our practice, learn from each other. And I think you work more effectively as well in yeah. that kind of setting. Yep. I was yeah. thinking too about what draws me to supervision mm. and it's so nice that my, my, supervisor, my supervisors are here in the room <laughs> with me as I, ha- as I say this. But, you know, there's often a moment where I, like, I'll be working with a family and I'll be walking home or something, I'll be walking the dog in the morning and mm. I'll be thinking about it. I think, oh. It's time for supervision, <laughs> you know, and I'll send you guys an email yeah. and be like, when can we meet? Yeah. Um, you know, there, there really is, uh, you know, getting into that habit of, of, of being able to share the stuff that's stressing you out that you, you know, in this particular way that you, you know, you don't, might not normally think about all the time. But yeah, there are certain moments where I just think, okay, it's time to meet. Mm, mm. Um, and that, I, I think it does raise this, tricky barrier for some people which is that we all really like each other and that's (laughs) one of the reasons why we trust each other with our vulnerabilities Um, but if you have not yet met somebody that you feel that way about that can be tricky right and and you are going to have to almost um, blind date a few people in order to find a good supervisor (laughs) but it does sort of remind me Anna you were saying the other day about when you want to find a therapist you almost have to have that attitude like, I'm going to have to try some people here. Yeah. Because it, it may not work the first time. That doesn't mean therapy's not going to work, mm. but it may mean that I need to try a few different people because relational stuff is yeah. unpredictable and you never know if you're going to feel comfortable or not feel comfortable. Yeah. And feeling comfortable is such an important part of it being effective as a process. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. So the safety first and, um, but, and equally, um, like there's that thing of, you know, do you, do you change it or do you make space for it? Mm. And uh, just talking with, with the supervisee this morning about, and, and so there's some things where we know, like, it's never going to be perfect. Mm. Okay. Mm. But is there enough here that I'm still getting most of what I need? I don't get everything, but I get yeah. most of what I need here. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also I can help shape up my supervisor. Mm, so maybe then they're not very good at whatever it is that you really want them to be good at. And so, but hey, we've all got capacities that we can grow into. And so yes. supervisors too. And I know, um, you know, often if I'm hearing a supervisee talk about, oh, like, you know, this isn't working and that's not working. It's like, oh, okay. So, you know, have you spoken with your supervisor about this? No. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you were, how would you have that conversation? Like, what would you say? Like, would you be trying to help them understand better? And I know you, Mark, uh, have very kind of set structures about feedback, you know, that Mm, uh, I want you to give me this feedback. Yep. And I do think that discipline is really interesting because it it does make space for that. Mm. Yes. Whereas I think having to carve out space to say, oh, actually, can I – can I stop you halfway through and tell you <laughs> how I don't like the way you do blah? That's yeah. much more confronting yeah. than maybe ticking a couple of boxes here where it's a bit under yes. where it should be. Yeah. And so, you know, um, in case that's helpful, like the, the few questions and I, I've sort of, I, you know, it's like a lot of things in your practice. It start, you do a bit of a shorthand version over time, which may or may not quite do the job. So anyway, you might want to expand this out, but I'll explain in that first meeting where you're kind of describing 
you know, trying to make sure you meet each other's needs and stuff, that, uh, you know, at the end of each session, I'll just ask you a few questions just to check in and see how the session was. And, you know, the first thing I'll ask you will be about, you know, did you feel like I was understanding what you were describing mm. in terms of, you know, that I'm understanding you. And then the second one is um, the degree to which the needs are met. Like, so you came with some stuff, you know, did we get to the stuff you needed or not? Mm. What, what did we get to that would have been important? And the third one then in terms of, um, the approach. So mm. in terms of how we've approached supervision today, to what extent was that a, a good fit for you? Like, and you might just reflect then you know, that we, you know, there was a few ideas given, but we also did that role play and you brought some video and like, how was that? Mm. And then anything to tweak for next time? Anything that we could just tweak to kind of meet the needs? Now, you know, it gets pretty quick. Like, you know, how do we go today? Feel understood? Needs? approach <laughs> in the tweak like so it gets really brief yeah. and there's a danger then that it gets so brief that there's n the space is closed up and sure. is what i was mm -hmm. thinking rebecca as you were um you know <laughs> noticing it um and so just to keep noticing if it's still because i i did that today and i noticed it was like wow i did a quick mark um <laughs> was there really space for the supervisee to mm -hmm. give proper feedback so yeah. And so if it feels like there isn't, then it's like expanded out a bit. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll then maybe, you know, is there anything that we could tweak? Mm. Like just thinking about it for a second here now. Mm. You know, maybe we could do things different here. Mm -hmm. What is it you might wish for that we're not doing? And that attitude of kind of openness and, hey, I really want to get better at this and, uh, you know, feedback is a gift, those mm -hmm. kinds of attitudes. Mm -hmm. I think there are lots of ways in which you can communicate those things and doesn't necessarily about the words that you say. Mm. Yep. But having that attitude as a supervisor that you that you do care, that you are on a learning journey with your mm. supervision style uh, and that you would like feedback, I think that maybe is the, mm. the magic source yes. of that yeah. kind yes. of interaction. Yeah, yeah I was okay. just going to say, I yeah. think um, asking for feedback and receiving feedback are art forms, mm. both of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so making space in your therapy or in your supervision to actually ask people how they're going and mm. whether or not this conversation is working for them. Mm. And so there's different ways of doing it, but being open to then what you do with the feedback is another thing. And I think that that happens for both supervisee and supervisor, mm. you know, having to kind of, uh, how much do I take on board and what do I think of that? And mm. how do, how does my thinking fit with their thinking about this? And so I think it is a process in itself to kind of learn both how to ask for it, but then what to do with it once you receive it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's reflective practice, isn't mm. it? And and that kind of idea of if you are practicing, you're changing, you're growing, mm. you're mm. whatever. That that um, attitude, I suppose, can be very nurtured by supervision mm. in in the beginning. Good, uh, helpful, supportive mm. supervision can really get that ingrained in practitioners. Yeah. Oh, actually, changing stuff isn't a failure. Changing stuff mm. is. A wonderful opportunity. I'm excited about yeah. it. Yeah, it's part of learning. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, final question. Let's say we have a practitioner out there mm -hmm. and they're not engaged in supervision, for example, or the supervision that they're doing at the moment is not helpful to okay. them. Mm -hmm. What advice do you think you would give them? To have a chat to their colleagues, you know, <laughs> find mm -hmm. out if there's, there's people that they're – um, in contact with that they find helpful or supervisors they've had in the past or just colleagues that they could approach. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Training institutions of all sorts mm. will often be a little bit of a hub for this stuff. So mm -hmm, they may mm -hmm. know of people who offer supervision. So, you know, whatever professional group it is, there'll be some training institutions mm. um, and seeking, you know, it could be family therapy. 
mm. and go to the Burberry mm. and ask the Burberry, you know, have you got supervisors? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and would you include opera and places like that? I know there's a kind of register. online register yes, yes. that you can mm. search. Yeah. Mm. Yep. 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 Find a supervisor. Find a supervisor. That's <laughs> good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, look, I guess I'm just thinking about for people who aren't currently receiving any supervision and are trying to make a decision whether to carve time out of their busy busy Mm -hmm. lives Mm -hmm. and already feeling overwhelmed or whatever it might be, you know, I think that it kind of comes down to to that idea. I mean, I I think that what I really enjoy about this kind of work is that it's complicated. Mm. <laughs> and that's a weird thing to say. But, you know, <laughs> that it's complicated. Like you're never going to you're never going to have one one true answer about anything. Mm. Um because people are complicated. Mm. And so, you know, I think that um you know, there's there's always this opportunity to learn and there's always this opportunity to develop the self and that never stops, you know. And no matter how experienced you get, you're always learning something new about yourself that you didn't know. You know, mm. my practice changed significantly after I had children mm. and how I responded to things and mm. how and whose side I was on. Mm. My family sessions <laughs> changed a lot after I had children. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Um, so, you know, you, you are always growing and changing as a person. So there's always these opportunities to learn about yourself. And that's partly what this kind of work does for us, I think. It mm. gives us those opportunities to learn about life and people mm. um, and also our own ways of responding. And supervision is, you know, a part of a- accessing that, that joy of that learning about yourself and learning about other people and the interaction between the two. And some w- missed opportunity, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. And yeah. and I guess that if if you are not receiving that opportunity mm. – uh, maybe it's worth having to think about when's my next point of negotiation, you know, when's my mm. next performance review or mm. when's my contract up or whatever. Yeah. And I think if you are a practitioner in rural areas, you often do have some leverage because mm. you are the only <laughs> practitioner yeah. or, you you know, the um, if you were to leave that job, that would make life quite mm. difficult for some people. Mm. And sometimes I think that's a wonderful opportunity to speak to your manager or team leader about what you would need in order to stay in this position. Yes. And that might be supervision. Yeah. I, I uh, Speaking as a manager, I always respect that when people come and say, look, I've really thought about what would keep me here yeah. or what would make my practice better. And yeah. Here's this very reasonable thing that I'm asking for, yeah. which is really uh, a good investment for, mm. from you mm. in the quality of my work, but also the longevity of your mm. staff. Mm. Okay, great. Mm. I think we should finish there because we are out of time. Oh. As oh, always, <laughs> as always, we will put this podcast up with a list of extra resources if people want to read a bit more about it. Yeah. Uh, we certainly encourage people to do that by going to our digital learning platform and signing in. You can register for free if you are a rural mental health practitioner. Let me thank both of my very good friends and mm. guests, Anna Sudis and Mark Donovan. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and time with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you, thank you so much thank for you. having us. We hope this episode has been helpful to you. And if you would like to contact us and let us know about further topics you'd be interested in, you can go to our website, theperegrinecentre.com.au. Thanks for listening. I hope you found today's episode helpful. You'll find specially selected resources on this topic on our digital learning platform. To join the platform for free or to suggest questions or topics for further episodes, please visit our website, 
theperegrinecenter.com.au.